0: In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the second half podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, Remember. if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host, Tom Powell. All right, welcome back in, folks. As the man in the intro said, this is the Second Half Podcast, and I am Tom Powell. And this is the point in each episode where I typically give you a reason to go get some margaritas, but uh, I don't really have a reason this week. I mean, there have been some positive developments on several fronts here in the Powell household, As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, or if you follow me on social media, or if you are in my personal inner circle, then you are aware of the fact that uh, there have been some rough times here in the Powell household of late, and those rough times are not over by a long shot, but positive developments on multiple fronts have been occurring, and hopefully things are going to be turning around in the near future on at least a few of those fronts. We'll see. When and if positive news is available, I will share it with you. So, I don't really have a reason this week uh, to go get margaritas. So you're just going to have to rely on uh, the old, fuck it. I'm old enough. I have a job that pays me money. It's the end of the week and God damn it, I want margaritas for you to go get some margaritas. So just just go get fucking margaritas. Go get yourself a big fat sack of the sticky icky. Get yourself a a case of bush light, if that's what it is that you're into. But just uh, celebrate accordingly the fact that you made it through yet another week. Okay? Uh, As always, before we get into the football picks and the news, uh, a quick reminder to make sure that you swing by my website, oldhippymedia.com that's old hippie h i p p i e media.com there you're going to find almost anything you want to know about me including a, a link to my other podcast off topic with tom powell which is available on patreon uh, in that podcast i interview people about their life their life experiences the projects they've got going on things they've got coming up i've had some damn good interviews uh, so far and i've got some really amazing interview guests coming up Uh, Coming up in the near future, I have V from Under the Desk News, Walter Masterson, uh, The Amazing D, uh, Nate Petroski is coming up. Uh, I'm trying to land some other people uh, that you might enjoy. Uh, We still have the uh, interview coming up with uh, Mr. TJ Creamer, who's a flight director at Mission Control. So a lot of cool interviews already done, a lot of cool interviews coming up. Uh, don't miss out on those episodes it's only four dollars and twenty cents a month and you get two additional episodes out of me each and every month that's over two hours of additional entertainment for under five bucks it's the best deal you're gonna find also at that website you're gonna find a link on where you can buy my books I have uh, two self-published books available in paperback and ebook formats Uh, They are A Grateful Life, the life story of a husband, father, and taco-loving deadhead and Dearest Renee, Letters from the Coronavirus War of 2020, once again, available in paperback and ebook formats. You're going to find a link to my store, Uh, some news about the store, if I could, please, real quick. Uh, My store is like anybody else's store. I have various types of merch, t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, buttons, coasters, stickers, wine tumblers, travel mugs. You name it. We got all kinds of stuff. Uh, And there are going to be uh, a bunch of new designs coming up in the next several months, including... Excuse me one minute while I sneeze. Hang on. (laughs) Mm, Goodness gracious. Is there another one up there? Usually there's two. Doesn't appear to be. Anyway. Including... And you guys are going to like this What if you follow me on TikTok. uh, Including some band shirts. If you follow me on social media, then you know that I, uh, I have an, on, an ongoing joke, a running joke. Uh, whenever I hear something goofy, I turn it into a band name that I was once part of. I'm taking a handful of those band names and I'm making band t-shirts that are going to be available on my merch store in the coming months. So watch for that. Uh, you're also going to find, uh, my blog. I try to do a Wednesday blog article, uh, every week, uh, Sometimes I'm not going to be able to get one up on Wednesday, but so far I've had a decent streak going here recently of, of new blog articles every Wednesday. Uh, you're going to find links on where you can follow me on all of the various social media sites, links to other podcasts I've appeared on, links to articles I've appeared in, uh, links on how to contact me, support me, or book me for services. Once again, all of that can be found at oldhippiemedia.com. That's old hippy. H I P P I E mediacom dot com. Now, on to the football picks, if I could please. Uh, last week in the divisional round, I went four and one with my divisional round picks, bringing my postseason record this year to nine and two. Not a bad run considering the regular season that I had. In the divisional round, we saw. The Ravens exert their dominance by ending the young Houston quarterback's first playoff run. Do not worry, Houston. You guys will be back in the playoffs with that young quarterback. There is no doubt about it. You have a star on your hands, and the Houston Texans are going to be a force to be reckoned with for years to come. But this year's run is over. We saw the 49ers show why they are the number one seed while also seeing that Green Bay is, in fact, for real, and it appears as if the Packers have landed yet another good quarterback, which just drives Bears fans up a fucking wall. We saw the Lions finally get some postseason love as they head to the NFC Championship game, and we saw that no matter how good the Bills really are, the Chiefs still own them in the postseason. It's just a fact, folks. The Bills are a good team. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a phenomenal uh, overall team top to bottom. But they just can't get over the Chiefs in the postseason. So now we're down to four. Uh, We're heading into the championship games. This weekend's games will determine which two teams head to the Super Bowl. And uh, my picks are as follows. I think that as tough as the Chiefs are, as good as they've been, Their run ends in Baltimore because the Ravens, I think, are just too much at home for the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs have the better quarterback, but I think the Ravens are going to pull it off. And while I want the Lions to win it all, I I have been rooting for the Lions for years to finally get some respect. I sadly think their run comes to an end in the city by the bay. So my picks for the conference championships are the Ravens and the 49ers. And if that's how it works out, that's going to be the Super Bowl that we get. An East Coast city and a West Coast city battling it out for the Super Bowl championship. We'll see. We'll see how uh, how this goes. Personally, I would like to see... For, uh, Ravens and 49ers is who I think it's going to be. I would like to see Lions Chiefs. I, I really would. But... We'll see. My picks: official Ravens and Forty All All right, now on to the news of the week. And yeah, I always do political news, but I do some non-political news as well. So i are going to do a couple of a little bit of non-political news here to begin with before we get into the politics. Uh, and I'd like to start with Applebee's, who was uh, offered a date night pass. I don't know if you guys saw this. I, I found it kind of interesting and wanted to discuss it. I'm going to read to you now from Fox Business. Applebee's customers were thrilled when the restaurant chain announced an exclusive date night pass just in time for Valentine's Day earlier this month. But then supplies didn't last. The $200 tickets for 52 date nights at the favorite neighborhood grill were sold out within minutes once they became available online Monday. The company said, due to popular demand, the Applebee's date night pass has sold out. Applebee's Date Night Pass was a promotional deal that would let customers buy limited-edition passes for up to $30 in food and non-alcoholic beverages per visit for 52 visits. The national chain said the passes had more than a $1,500 value for just $200. The Date Night Pass went on sale Monday at noon, but hopeful couples had their date plans quashed when the passes were sold out almost as soon as they went online. Applebee's did not respond to a request for comment. The uh, excitement and demand from guests for Applebee's date night pass far surpassed our expectations, an Applebee's spokesman told USA Today in a statement. The restaurant chain did not say how many passes were sold, but that there were tens of thousands of hungry guests waiting to try and snag a pass. Now, many people are claiming that this was all a scam and that the Applebee's passes never existed, but... Uh, I I have no proof or validation to that claim in any way, shape, or form, and while I'm not a huge fan of Applebee's, I'm a huge fan of a deal, and I'm a huge fan of companies uh, offering deals to their customers, and that sounded like it was a hell of a deal. $1,500 worth of value for just $200 over the course of a year sounded like a hell of a deal, so Uh, Hopefully they bring that pass back and more people have an opportunity to participate in it and hopefully other restaurants take note and Say hey, we might be able to offer a deal. This, This is an opportunity to get people into the restaurant more often You only get a $30 value each night each one of your 52 visits and so You're gonna have to spend some of your own money and so it's a way to get people in the door have them buy stuff above and beyond the $200 pass that they bought, but also take in a massive chunk of money on the front end in order to sell these things. So I, I would like to see some of my favorite restaurants maybe take a hard look at the Applebee's date night pass concept. Uh, moving on to the labor market, if we could, please. Uh, we have an article out uh, about the fastest growing jobs in 10 U.S. major markets. I'm going to read to you now from CNBC. The job landscape has been in constant flux over the last three years, as some industries will st- still struggle to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, and companies brace for a potential recession in 20 20- braced for a potential recession in 2023. A recession that did not come, by the way. Some jobs have become more popular in the wake of the pandemic and the nationwide quitting and hiring spree it triggered. The U.S. is expected to add 8.4 million jobs, uh, million new jobs by 2031, according to the latest U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics jobs projection, with nearly one third of jobs being in healthcare and social assistance. Advanced practice pa- providers, employee experience managers, and truck drivers are among the most in-demand jobs in the U.S. A new report from LinkedIn has found. On Wednesday, LinkedIn released its annual Jobs on the Rise list, highlighting the 25 fastest-growing occupations over the last five years, based on the job titles that saw the most growth on its website between January of 2018 and July of 2022. 22 of the 25 positions on LinkedIn's list offered remote or hybrid job opportunities, indicating that employers are continuing to heed workers' demands for flexible work to attract and retain talent in a tight labor market. The 10 fastest growing jobs, according to LinkedIn's list, in 10 major U.S. markets are Head of Revenue Operations, Human Resources Analytics Manager, Diversity and Inclusion Manager, that one's going to piss off some people, Truck Driver, Employee Experience Manager, Sales Enablement Specialist, Advanced Practice Provider, growth market manager, data governance manager, and grants management specialist. Now, I am getting old as fuck because I don't know what half of those fucking jobs are. But those are the jobs that if you want some growth, you need to look out for, according to LinkedIn. Continuing on with the economy, the Dow hit yet another record high this week. I'm going to read to you now from AP News. And this is this is where the problem comes in for the Republican party as we head into uh, the heart of this 2024 election season. They have been trying to hammer Joe Biden on the economy for 3 years and they have been they have been trying to set up a strategy to run on the economy because the economy is a winning issue every single fucking time. The S&P 500 predicts the president uh, the uh, the president uh, presidential race for the last 50 or 60 years, with 100% accuracy, and for the last, I think, 80 or 90 years, with like 90% accuracy. When stocks rise in the three months prior to the presidential election, the incumbent always wins. Always. And stocks are on the rise again, because we're experiencing a strong economy. From AP News, Wall Street returned to record heights Friday to cap a punishing two-year round-trip dogged by high inflation and worries about a recession that seemed inevitable but hasn't arrived. The S&P 500, which is the centerpiece of many 401k accounts, and the main measure that professional investors use to gauge Wall Street's health, rallied 1.2% to 483981 it erased the last of its losses since setting its prior record of 4,796.56 at the start of 2022. During that time, it dropped as much as 25% as inflation soared to levels unseen since Thelonious Monk and Ingrid Bergman were still alive in 1981. Even more than high inflation itself, Wall Street's fairs were focused on the medicine, and Federal Reserve traditionally uses focused on the medicine the Federal Reserve traditionally uses to treat it. That's high interest rates, which press the brakes on the economy by making borrowing more expensive and hurting prices for stock and other investments. And the Fed rapidly hiked its main interest rate from virtually zero to its highest levels since 2001 in a range between 5.25% and 5.5%. Historically, the Fed has helped induce recessions through such increases to interest rate cuts or to interest rates coming into last year the widespread expect, expectation on wall street was that it would happen again but this time was different or at least it has been so far the economy is still growing the unemployment rate remains remarkably low and optimism is on the upswing among us households Quote, "i don't think this cycle is normal at all" said nalladri neil McCargey, and I know I butchered that name so I apologize chief investment officer uh, investment officer at TIAA's wealth management team it's unique and the pandemic introduced that element of uniqueness they went on to say after shooting higher uh, as snarled after shooting higher as snarled supply chains caused shortages because of covid-19 shutdowns inflation has been cooling since its peak two summers ago it's eased so much that Wall Street's biggest question now is when the Federal Reserve will begin moving interest rates lower. Such cuts to rates can act like steroids for financial markets while releasing pressure that's built up on the economy and the financial system. Treasury yields have, also, uh, have already relaxed significantly on expectations for rate cuts, and that helped the stock market's rally accelerate sharply in November. The yield on the 10-year Treasury slipped Friday to 4.13%, and it's down sharply from the 5% that it reached in October, which was its highest level since 'o seven. Now, a lot of people are going to hear this. They're going to see some numbers. They're going to hear that the Dow Jones Industrial Average set a new record high earlier this month as a gain 359 or 1.1% on Friday to close at 37.863, the NASDAQ composite jumped 255 or 1.7% to close at 15.310, they're gonna hear that the S&P rose all told 58.85 points to its record, they're gonna go, okay, what does all of that mean? The stock market's doing great, this, that, the other, well, it means that we're having a good economy. And it means that all the bullshit that you're being sold by the conservative right in this country about how bad Democrats are for the economy has yet again proven to be bullshit. The economy does well under Democrats and it does poorly under Republicans. And that has been the case literally my entire life. Literally my whole life. We had a piss poor economy under Reagan where Reagan raised uh, taxes, uh, 14 times in eight years in order to try and get the economy under control after he came in and had one of the biggest tax cuts in American history, blowing a massive hole in our debt and deficit. Inflation skyrocketed. People suffered across this country. In came Bill Clinton, and he fixed it. He worked with the Republican Congress to balance the budget for six of his eight years and passed on a surplus to George W. Bush, who then tanked the economy with a combination of the Bush tax cuts and two wars in the Middle East that he didn't bother to pay for. He went from being handed a a surplus and a long-term plan created by a Democratic president and Republican Congress to end our debt, and repay every dime taken from Social Security. That's the plan put in place by the Clinton administration with the Republican Congress. That was what was handed to W. And he fucking destroyed it. And by the time W left office, we were in the worst recession since the Great Depression. And we were shedding 700,000 jobs a month. In comes Obama. And he fixes it. Uh, fixes it again. He saves the auto industry He oversees the longest streak of uninterrupted private sector job growth in american history he doubles the stock market he cuts unemployment in half he cuts government spending by two-thirds and he puts us back on track then what happened we got trump and trump actually plateaued the economy before the pandemic through his 2017 trump tax cuts He added over $7.5 trillion to the debt in his four years in office, and then he completely ignored a pandemic, causing our economy to go into the hole, uh, go into the tank, the likes of which we hadn't seen since the Great Depression. In comes Joe Biden. What does he do? He fixes it, again. Yet the Republicans are trying to run on the economy. It's the economy, stupid. Remember James Carville's famous line, it's the economy, stupid? That's what the Republicans are trying to run on. But now let me read to you from a source called The Balance. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is an index of the 30 top-performing U.S. companies. The most recent all-time record, as of them writing this article, was on January fourth, 2022, when it closed at 36799 This was the Dow's third consecutive trading day with a record close and the fourth record closing in just two months. The previous high was recorded just a day prior, when the index ended the trading day at 36,585. The one before that came on the final trading day of 2021, when Dow when the Dow closed at 36,488, smashing the record it set on November 8, 2021. The Dow witnessed a sharp decline at the end of November over fears of inflation and the COVID-19 pandemic, before resuming its quest to break more all-time high milestones. Between November 2020 and July 2021, the Dow rose more than 5,000 points. On November 24, 2020, it broke 30,000 for the first time, closing at 30,046. And the Republicans went nuts. This is unbelievable. It's unheard of. Nobody thought it could be done. Well, on July twenty third, 2021, it closed at 35,061. The highest closing record before November 2020 was February twelfth 2020, when the Dow closed at 29,551, before the 2020 recession set in and the COVID pandemic took over. So what does this mean? This means that several of the best closing days the Dow has ever had has occurred under Joe Biden. That's correct. Several of the best closing days that the Dow has ever had have occurred under the president that Republicans are trying to convince you has tanked the economy. And they've done it again. We've now closed once again at an all-time record high for the Dow. Because the economy does better under Democrats than it does under Republicans. It is always the case. Even Donald Trump said so before he got into politics. But the simple-minded can be sold anything, so they are going to be sold that this is a bad economy and that they need to vote accordingly. Here's the problem that the Republicans have. You can sell people, simple-minded people, on things like The brown people are coming for your jobs. The gay people are coming for your kids. Women shouldn't have rights, etc., etc., etc. But they know their own finances. They understand what they can and cannot afford. They understand when they have a little bit of extra money. They understand when they're suffering a little bit. And that's the one thing that the Republicans can't sell. So what are they back to trying to sell you? What is the shift... Become in the Republican Party narrative over the course of the last five months. We're shifting away from economic talk, and we're back on immigration. We're back on a border invasion. We're back on, look, the brown people are coming for you. Because that's all they got left, folks. They can't run on the economy anymore. They just can't. In some pockets, they're going to be able to. In poor areas of the rural parts of this country, they're going to be able to sell some of the simpletons. that Their plot in life, their lot in life, is because Democrats have ruined the economy. But overall, it's not a winning argument in this country right now. So now they need to sell you on brown people coming to take your jobs, gay people coming to to assault your kids. That, that fear and loathing of people that are deemed other than you. Watch that become the main narrative as we get closer to November, folks. Mark by words. Uh, this next news story I found rather interesting and wanted to touch on it. Sports Illustrated just had a massive round of layoffs, and it could mean the end of Sports Illustrated and no I'm not joking when I say that. I'm going to read to you now from Forbes. The sports media world was rocked by the news that Sports Illustrated embroiled in controversy since it was bought in 2019 by Authentic Brands Group will lay off the majority of its workforce in what may see uh, many see as the end of the publication. How the termination happened, terminations happened is the latest in a series of ongoing embarrassments for Sports Illustrated since the brand was licensed to the Arena Group soon after its $110 million purchase from Meredith Corporation. An announcement came at 1.30 p.m. stating uh, Arena was making a significant reduction in the workforce of over 100 employees after the company missed a quarterly payment to ABG on its $15 million annual fee for the rights to publish Sports Illustrated in print and online. That missed payment resulted in a revocation of its license to con- uh, convey content under the SI brand. Sports Illustrated reporters and editors were informed on a Zoom call that brand and online content would continue while the issue was resolved, according to the New York Times. But many staff members received emails notifying them that they were terminated immediately while others were expected to keep working, quote, through the end of the notice period, end quote. In an email provided Monday to Forbes, Authentic Brands Group stated that despite the termination of the arena group license to serve as the publisher, Authentic is here to ensure that the brand of Sports Illustrated, which includes its editorial arm, Continues to thrive as it has for the past nearly 70 years. We are confident that we are that going forward, the brand will continue to evolve and grow in a way that serves sports news readers, sports fans, and consumers. We are committed to ensuring that the traditional ad-supported Sports Illustrated media pillar has best-in-class stewardship to preserve the complete integrity of the brand's legacy. Longtime SI writer Pat Forday. Had indicated that same sentiment and a clarification from Arena Operations had Matt Lombardi he posted on Friday, but was also among writers uh, among writers past and present who lamented the struggles of the legendary sports publication. Fordy described the layoffs as an ugly, brutal day. Best-selling author Jeff, author Jeff Perlman posted he was heartbroken, while Richard Geech, now with The uh, Athletic, described it as just an awful uh, day in a series of awful days for a place that meant the world to so many. ESPN's Adam Schefter noted, At its peak and even for a while after, Sports Illustrated was the institution. Its covers and coverage were legendary. So much great work was done there. And now, it's the end. It sure sounds like a lot of people in the know and in the industry believe that the uh, the Sports Illustrated magazine, as we know it, is over as a result of this missed payment and this uh, this declaration of their revocation of their license to be able to publish under the SI brand. And if so, that truly is the end of an era in this country. Uh, I grew up with Sports Illustrated being the premier. Sports News Outlet. And and listen, yeah, the the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue has been legendary and all that shit. Sports Illustrated outside of the swimsuit issue is legendary. Their, their, Their covers are legendary. Their coverage is legendary. And now, they can't keep the fucking lights on, folks. They can't even publish under the Sports Illustrated brand because they can't make their payments. So... I don't see how Sports Illustrated continues beyond this, but who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? We'll continue to watch that story for more advanced uh, developments. In what can only be described as incredibly good news and potentially groundbreaking news in the world of cannabis legalization, not potentially, in groundbreaking news, in the world of cannabis legalization and potentially trend-setting news is what I should have said. Washington State is now banning pre-screening for cannabis for a lot of employers. I'm going to read to you now from NORML, which is N-O-R-M-L. It stands for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Legislation took effect on January 1st prohibiting employers from taking adverse uh, actions against new hires because of a failed drug test for marijuana. The new law, which was signed last May by Democratic Governor Jay Inslee, states, quote, it is unlawful for an employer to discriminate against a person in the initial hiring for employment if the discrimination is based upon A, the person's use of cannabis off the job and away from the workplace, or B, an employer-required drug screening that uh, test that has found the person to have non-psychoactive cannabis metabolites in their hair, blood, urine, or other bodily fluids, end quote. Pre-employment testing requirements will remain in place for those seeking jobs in certain safety-sensitive positions. The new law does not impact workplace policies that require current employees to undergo testing for off-the-job cannabis use or that punish those who test positive. Washington is among a growing number of jurisdictions that have recently amended their drug testing regulations for public employees. Nevada and Michigan have similarly adopted legislation limiting pre-employment cannabis testing for new hires, as have new, uh, numerous municipalities, according, uh, including Anchorage, Alaska, Atlanta, Georgia, Baltimore, Maryland, Cleveland, Ohio, Kansas City, Kansas, Philadelphia, St. Louis, and other jurisdictions, including California, Connecticut, D.C., Montana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island have expanded these policies to limit cannabis testing for both new hires and existing employees. Numerous studies indicate that employees who consume cannabis during their off hours perform perform no differently than their non-using peers. Specifically, they do not pose an increased safety risk, according to an exhaustive review, by the U.S. National Academy of Science, which says there is no evidence to support a statistical association between cannabis use and occupational accidents or injuries. And it seems like, according to what I'm reading, and it could be off, Washington state is taking it a step further and they're banning the testing for cannabis for a lot more jobs than many of these other states have. Now, here's what I would like to see happen across the board in this country. Stop testing for marijuana altogether for for anything because here's the bottom line it is now being prescribed as medicine in well over 30 states so are you telling me that somebody can't get a job because they took their doctor prescribed medication and listen i get it a lot of us smoke it for recreational purposes not for medicinal purposes but a lot of people use it for medicinal purposes And so now we're going to get into an area where people can't get a job because they're taking their prescribed medicine. Interesting. You're going to stop people from getting a job because they tested positive for metformin? I mean, it's a prescribed medicine. What, 33, 34, 35, 36 states? The fact that we're even still testing for cannabis is a fucking joke to begin with. Guys... It's time to get the newsflash, okay? It's time to get the fucking memo. The tide has turned on cannabis legalization in this country, okay? We are rapidly moving towards federal legalization. We are rapidly moving towards reclassification, and we are rapidly moving towards a society that generally accepts cannabis consumption as much as it accepts alcohol consumption, And you don't test for alcohol in the bloodstream for uh, pre-employment screenings. So fucking stop with this marijuana testing, okay? Just fucking stop. Moving on, we're going to talk about a story that's going to piss off a lot of Republicans when they hear it. Uh, It already has pissed off a lot of Republicans, but if there are any Republicans that are listening to this podcast, I hope this one makes your fucking skin crawl. The Supreme Court has sided with the Biden administration on removing razor wire from the southern border. I'm going to read to you now from NPR. The U.S. Supreme Court, in a 5-4 vote, granted the Biden administration's request to vacate the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals injunction in a case involving razor wire placed along Texas's border with Mexico. The move paves the way for federal officials to remove the wire. Justices Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh dissented. Texas has maintained that it needs to act on the border because the federal government has failed to stem the tide of migrants crossing from Mexico. Oddly enough, Texas actually deems themselves, not not an outside source, Texas themselves, deems undocumented immigrants in their state as a net positive for their economy. But we won't let facts get in the way of a good narrative here, right? Governor Greg Abbott launched a controversial state-led border security effort called Operation Lone Star in 2021. Since then, Texas has installed razor wire, a floating barrier in the Rio Grande, and added thousands of Texas state troopers and National Guard soldiers to patrol parts of the state's 1,254-mile-long border with Mexico. Earlier this month, the Biden administration turned to the Supreme Court over the installation of razor wire on the northern banks of the Rio Grande in Eagle Pass. That came after the state sued the administration in October, claiming federal agents were destroying state property and preventing Texas National Guard and Department of Public Safety officers from securing the border. A federal judge ruled in the Biden administration's favor, but the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals later decided the judge misunderstood a law that spells out what the federal government can be sued for. On Monday, the Supreme Court sided with the Biden administration, allowing federal agents to cut through portions of the wire If they deem it necessary. Now, why are the Republicans losing their shit? Because the deciding vote, one of the deciding votes in this was Amy Coney Barrett. And believe it or not, the handmaid herself, Amy Coney Barrett, the one who was uh, one of the ones who was put there to single-handedly bring down Roe v. Wade. Well, they want her gone now. They don't like the way she ruled on this. They say that she has, uh, she has uh, uh, gone against American values and American rule of law, and she has she has turned her back on the conservative values that got her to where she is, and they want her gone. and And personally, I'm with them. If you guys want Amy Coney Barrett gone, I will help with signing the petition to have her removed through any legal way humanly possible. So if you conservatives, if you maga turds are out there listening to this podcast, and you guys want Amy Coney Barrett gone, send me the petition. I'll sign it. Let's go. I'll give you a hand. One less right-wing conservative whack job on our highest court. Let's go. (sighs) Moving on. As you may have heard, we had uh, the second primary of the year in New Hampshire this past week. And I'd like to go over some of those results now before we go into what exactly the end result of all of this ends up being as long as Trump is still in the race. First, I'm going to read to you from NBC News. President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump scored decisive victories Tuesday in New Hampshire's primaries, with both aiming to move confidently into general election mode. Even so, questions remain, though there are fewer for Democrats. A Biden write-in campaign, he uh, skipped the New Hampshire uh, primary in a conflict over the 2024 primary order, Easily defeated an energetic and well-funded challenge uh, from Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota. On the Republican side, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley vowed to continue, much to the chagrin of Trump and his allies. She's going forward with a sharp focus on South Carolina, where she used to be governor, but where Trump is seen as a frontrunner. Here are the biggest takeaways from uh, the New Hampshire primary night from Trump and the future of the Republican Party to the declining influence of local endorsements and more. Trump became the first non-incumbent Republican presidential candidate to win both Iowa and New Hampshire, and he won both races by double digits. Trump and his allies were wielding the historical first as a clear sign that the 2024 primary campaign should be coming to an end. Yes, A significant portion of the GOP electorate has been looking for a Trump alternative, but it so far hasn't been able to come close to toppling him. We have to do what is right for our party, Trump said at his election night party in Nashaw. Of course, he's going to be expected. It's, it's to be expected that Trump would urge his opponents to stop opposing him. More notably, Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel essentially told NBC News in a statement before the New Hampshire polls closed Tuesday that should Trump earn a substantial victory, it would be time for the party to coalesce formally around him. Several GOP lawmakers have suggested the same. Quote, if President Trump comes out strong tonight, that's a clear message being sent by our primary voters, McDaniel said in her statement earlier Tuesday, adding that former rivals had endorsed Trump and that, quote, Republicans know if we're not united as a party behind our nominee, we won't be able to beat Biden, end quote. But Nikki Haley, in her post-election speech Tuesday, pledged to fight on and carry her campaign in the South Carolina, which hosts its primary late next month. Even though he pulled out a victory over Haley on Tuesday night, there are some general election warning signs in the results for Trump. First and foremost, his performance with self-identified moderates, who tend to be the swing voters in critical swing states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and even New Hampshire, uh, come November. NBC News exit polling found that while Trump won self-identified Republicans by 49 points, He lost independence by 24 points, and the makeup of the primary was fairly evenly split between the two groups. Self-identified moderates, 29% of the electorate, backed Haley by a whopping 51 points over Trump, while he won conservatives by 42 points. Meanwhile, just 13% of Haley voters said that they would be satisfied with Trump's winning the GOP nomination, while 86% of her voters said he wouldn't be fit to serve as president should he be convicted of a crime. Not all of Haley's supporters uh, now were Trump supporters in in the 2020 election, and Greg Moore, the regional director for Americans for Prosperity Action, a conservative group that endorsed Haley, told reporters Friday that he thinks the raw reality of a two-candidate matchup will see many unhappy Republicans come home to Trump. But NBC News spoke with several voters at Haley's uh, Haley events who said they couldn't get themselves to the point where they could vote for Trump in the fall should he win the nomination, including some who previously voted for him. Donna Doste, a Haley supporter from Hooksit said she liked Trump's policies but voted for Biden in 2022 after having backed Trump in 2016 because of the chaos that Trump brought to the country. She said she could write, she would write in Haley this fall should the election be a rematch between Biden and Trump. Trump makes me nervous, she said. He really does. I think he's a dangerous man, she went on to say. These voters don't make Trump nervous, though. Addressing a question from NBC News earlier uh, Tuesday about winning back some of them, he wasn't too worried. Quote, they're going to all vote for me again, he said. I'm not sure we need too many. I'm not sure. I think that Biden is the worst president in the history of this country, but we're going to all come back. But we're all going to all come back. They're all coming back. And I think you see that, he said. But that's not the case. They're not all coming back. Despite all the Democratic hand-wringing about Biden's prospects against Trump, despite all the polls showing Americans unhappy with a Biden-Trump rematch, and despite Biden's age and vulnerabilities, Biden just won a comfortable margin as a write-in candidate in New Hampshire's, New Hampshire's unsanctioned Democratic primary. Biden didn't even make it to New Hampshire in his first two presidential runs in uh, 1988 and 2008 before he finished fifth in the state in 2020. But this time, he's on track to win uh, around two thirds of Democrats' uh, votes in the state, almost fifty points ahead of the competition. And even his name, uh, even though his name wasn't actually on the ballot, he did so as I said earlier as a write-in candidate. That's not too far off of eighty-one percent. President Barack o- the eighty-one percent uh, President Barack Obama got in the New Hampshire primary in twenty twelve when he ran for reelection without notable Democratic opposition, and with his name on the ballot. And Biden appears on track to get more raw votes than Obama did that year, thanks to a higher turnout this time. Phillips is a credible and well-funded candidate, smooth on the stump, and a quarter-century Biden's junior. He went all-in on New Hampshire and doggedly argued that Biden is unelectable and experiencing decline. And he easily outspent Biden uh, and his write-in campaign, which didn't run a single TV ad. But New Hampshire Democrats opted to go with Biden anyway, while Phillips is running close to an ambitious goal he set out for himself of finishing with more than 20% of the vote. Phillips is worth somewhere uh, north of $100 million, so he can most likely continue his campaign as long as he likes, and he has already signed up for an event in South Carolina this coming weekend. Biden still has work to do to bring unhappy elements of his base back into the fold, but barring some kind of major surprising outside event, the rest of the world besides Phillips is likely to move on to the general election mode with Biden as the candidate. And what we're seeing here unfold in these primaries is two things. One, On the Democratic side, we're seeing that even though people are going, well, he's Genocide Joe, and we don't want him, he's too old, and this, that, the other. And I'm I'm talking about Democrats saying this, not Republicans. The Democrats still recognize the power that Joe Biden has to beat Donald Trump in the general election, and they are choosing to run with him again. Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. It's time to get that through your head. There isn't going to be another Democratic nominee unless Joe Biden backs out or has a major medical issue. He's going to be the nominee. It's going to be Biden and Harris again. On the Republican side, it's most likely going to be Trump. I've been saying for months when people say, well, who do you think the Republican nominee is going to be? I think the Republican nominee is going to be Donald Trump yet again. I think that it's going to be a Biden-Trump matchup. But Trump is seeing the cracks He's not winning the moderates. He's not winning the independents. He beat Nikki Haley with 54% of the vote. He wasn't getting 60, 70, 80% of the vote like people think he was. Nikki Haley was just behind him by a few percentage points in New Hampshire. No. Does that mean that Nikki Haley is going to surpass him and win the nomination? No, it doesn't. Does that mean some other Republican candidate is going to be the nominee? No, it doesn't. Does that mean that the Republican Party, when it comes time to get to the convention and actually dole out the nomination, is going to pull some last-minute move to keep Trump off the ballot? No, it doesn't. Because they're too fucking scared of his base. They're too fucking scared of his base, and they don't have a plan B. So the Republicans are going to be stuck with Trump as the nominee, even though they're seeing that the moderates and the independents don't want him. And will not vote for him. Is he going to draw the MAGA base? Yeah. Is he going to draw Republicans that maybe you're like, yeah, I really wish he wasn't the nominee, but he's the Republican, so we got to vote for him. Yeah, he is. But he is not going to draw the people he needs to draw in order to win the states he needs to win. He just isn't. The moderates and independents are already against him. They don't want him. And and the 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 conservatives that are sort of on the fence, that are like, hey, listen, if he's the Republican nominee, I'll vote for him, are the also the ones that are going, but if he's convicted of a crime, I just can't see myself voting for him. And he's going to be convicted of a crime before the general election. There is a very strong chance that Donald Trump is not going to be able to vote for himself In the presidential election, because he's going to be a convicted felon. A convicted felon that's appealing his case, but a convicted felon nonetheless. And that spells doom for the Republican Party, and the people in the Republican Party know that. But they're all too scared of his base. They're all too afraid that his base isn't going to turn out that they're going to write him in anyway, and that they're going to turn their backs on anybody that isn't loyal to Trump. And that brings us to the next point of this whole thing, which was how the Republican candidates themselves line up to suck this man's asshole, even though he treats them like shit. Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race after Iowa, before New Hampshire. And what did he do? He immediately endorsed Trump, just like they all do. I'm going to read to you now from my own blog from last week. In the immediate aftermath of the Iowa caucuses, Ron DeSantis announced he was suspending his campaign, and then, in typical Trump cult fashion, he immediately endorsed Trump. The man who had been denigrating him since Ron announced he was running. Why? Because that's what Trump cultists do. They get on their knees and they suck the sack of the deer leader in hopes that debasing themselves will win uh, them a sliver of his voting base, uh, base's votes for the next time they seek office. They all do it, almost without fail. Lindsey Graham once said of Trump, If we nominate Trump, we'll get destroyed and we will deserve it. He would also say he's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot and would add, You know how you make America great again? You tell Donald Trump to go to hell. What did Lindsey Graham end up doing? He became Trump's biggest supporter and lapdog, even breaking down about the treatment of former President uh, Trump and what he has endured. Crying in interviews about how unfair it is. Trump's one-time press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, said before Trump won the uh, first election that Donald Trump has shown himself to be a showman and it was unfortunate and inauthentic to call him a Republican. McEnany called Trump's comments about Mexican immigrants racist since she didn't want him to be the, the standard bearer of her party. Then, of course, she became one of his many press secretaries, defending his every action, defending his every move, and making excuses for him at every turn. Ted Cruz if you will recall, ripped into Trump, saying this man is a pathological liar. He doesn't know the difference between truth and lies. In a pattern that is straight out of a psycho- psychology textbook, he accuses everyone of lying. Whatever lie he's telling, at that minute, he believes it. The man is utterly amoral. And that, boys and girls, is the first true and accurate thing I have ever heard Ted Cruz say. Ever. Ever. This, of course, in addition to Ted Cruz threatening Trump as he sneered into the camera because Trump attacked how Ted Cruz's wife, Heidi, looked. You remember that? As Ted Cruz uh, said those very things about Trump being uh, a liar and how he believes any lie that he says, he then turned to the camera, pointed his finger into the camera and said, you leave Heidi alone. You want a battle? You come after me. You say, yeah, yeah. You remember that bullshit? But that was all theater. Because Cruz kissed the ring and has continued to back Trump ever since. Even endorsing him in recent weeks for his third run at the White House. If somebody attacked my wife in that manner, I don't give a fuck what they were doing. I wouldn't back them for shit. Keep in mind that Trump also accused Ted Cruz's father of assassinating Ted Kennedy. And and Cruz still gets on his knees to flake Trump every chance he gets because he's afraid of the base. How about Mitch McConnell? who went even further than many of the other Republicans in his party when he placed the blame for the January 6, 2021 domestic terrorist attack on our nation's capital at the feet of the former president, saying, there's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. Do you remember that? That was a speech he gave when uh, the Senate was getting ready to vote on Trump's impeachment articles to convict or acquit him because of the events of that day. And then what did McConnell do? He went on to vote not to convict Trump of that act during the impeachment trial. Trump's even gone after McConnell's wife, Elaine Chao, who was in the Trump cabinet. Yet Mitch continues to support him solely because he is the likely presidential nominee. He went on to make incredibly racist comments about Elaine Chao and talk about how incredibly disloyal she is and rips her to this day. And McConnell still supports him because he's the Republican nominee, because the Republicans are about party first, not country first. And now we have DeSantis bowing before the dear leader to show you his loyalty. And all of it for what? So that Trump supporters might vote for you in the future? Because you you think showing the world that you are completely devoid of a spine and any moral compass whatsoever will win over the hearts and minds of the people you need to support you? All these clowns have done is prove to the world that they aren't about policy or governing at all, but rather they are all about securing their jobs. They all get uh, on their knees every chance they get because they are opportunistic buckets of liquefied dog shit who kowtow at the first chance they get. Never let these men preach to you from some non-existent moral high ground again. For they have forever relinquished said moral high ground by sacrificing it on the altar of Trumpism. They don't possess the moral high ground. They don't care about policy. They don't care about governing. They don't even care how they look. Donald Trump has been calling Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious, for months talking about how unloyal he is, how bad of a governor he is, how horrible his state is, how much he needs to go back to Florida and focus on his job, how 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 shitty he is on the campaign trail and what does Ron DeSantis do in the speech in which he's announcing he's suspending his campaign? He immediately backs Trump immediately. That is so fucking spineless, I can't even fit it into my head. That is so utterly morally bankrupt, it is beyond comprehension. If you had somebody telling the world from one of the biggest bully pulpits ever how much of a piece of shit you were every fucking chance he got, would you back him? Would you support him? Would you go, ah, he didn't mean it. It's time to everybody get together and and fight for the, the, the bigger cause. Not a chance in hell. And if you say you would, you'd be a lion sack of shit. So who's next? Nikki Haley. She's the only one still in the race, right? She's the only one still in the race trying to oppose Trump, and she's the only one that even has a chance at beating Trump, and that chance is slim and fucking none. But sooner or later, Nikki Haley's going to have to drop out of the race, because she's not going to win. She's lost in Iowa, she came in third in Iowa, she came in second in New Hampshire, and she's going to lose the next race, which is the state she was the governor of, her home state, South Carolina. And when that happens, she's going to have some very difficult decisions to make. And she's most likely going to have to suspend her campaign. And then what is she going to do? Well, we don't know what she's going to do because it hasn't happened yet, right? We can only speculate as to what Nikki Haley is going to do when she eventually drops out of the race as well. My guess is, however, she's going to do what all the rest of them do. She's going to line up to kiss the ring, get on one knee... And devote her ever uh, never ending loyalty, and devotion, to the dear leader. Because all of them are afraid that when they run the next time around, the Trump base is going to remember them, and they're going to go, eh? You were the one that opposed Trump. Trump has even come out and said just yesterday, I believe, that. Uh, He is going to ban any donors that continue to give money to Nikki Haley from ever coming back into the MAGA fold. He said, if you guys don't get off of her train now and turn to Trumpism, if you guys don't stop supporting her and her uh, bid to unseat me as the potential nominee, you're never allowed back in my camp ever again. He's a fucking mob boss, and he's not even good at that. And so eventually, the donors will stop donating to Nikki Haley. Eventually, Nikki Haley is going to drop out of the race. Eventually, Nikki Haley is going to turn around and support Donald Trump and back Donald Trump and tell Republicans and, and everybody that she that voted for her, hey, you need to get behind the Republican nominee because we just can't have Joe Biden, so you got to get behind Donald Trump. Even though he's on the campaign trail right now calling her bird brain, talking about how stupid and unloyal she is. That ladies and gentlemen, is an American political cult. And I have never been happier that I am not part of that insanity. All right, guys. That's all I got for you this week. Make sure you tune in next week for an all-new episode of The Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell and then just a little heads-up for you, a little scheduling heads-up for you There's going to be a new episode on February 2nd. There's going to be a new episode on February 19th. There's going to be a new episode, or 9th. There's going to be a new episode on February 16th. And then there's going to be a new episode on February 23rd. And then there will be a couple of weeks off. Because on February 28th, I am wheels up for Jamaica for 10 days. So there will not be a new episode on March 1st or March 8th. The last new episode will be February 23rd before I go on vacation. And then the next new episode will be February or March 15th. My apologies. Just a little scheduling update. In the meantime, however... You can subscribe to my other podcast for just $4.20 a month, where I am doing interviews, setting up the podcast, and will be releasing a new interview while I am on vacation. So there will be new content to be had while I am on vacation. It just will not be on this platform. Okay? All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening, as always. Make sure you tell everybody you know about my podcast so we can help grow these things. And until next week, as always, stay grateful.